Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And welcome back to Mums the Word, the parenting podcast. I'm George Jones and I'm your host for this week. So this week we had a first. Cooper, my little boy, lost his very first tooth. And um, it was not what I remember as a child. We used to tie our teeth to a piece of string and then shut a door with the string attached and it was all good fun. But apparently in this modern world, losing a teeth, losing teeth is quite traumatic. Um, so it's been, let's just say a week from um, hell in our household. He didn't want to go anywhere, see anyone, eat anything or do anything. So um, other than watch, watch TV and play video games. So I am very, very thankful that this tooth has now left the building and um, Cooper's two pound richer. This week we have special guest Jake Graff joining us. He is an award-winning director, writer and actor. You might know him from his role in The Danish Girl and for his viral hit Headspace. He's a vocal and visible member of the transgender community and has recently had second child Teddy via surrogate. Teddy is now one and his daughter Millie is three. Surrogacy is a topic that touches the lives of countless individuals and families around the globe. It's a remarkable and complex process that involves a surrogate who carries a baby for a couple who are unable to conceive or carry a child themselves. Now, let's welcome Jake to the show and find out how he's coping from going from one to two. Hi, Jake. Lovely to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Georgia. Um, just childcare issues at the moment are kind of keeping me awake at night, but um, nothing that I'm sure won't be sorted eventually so no otherwise good and that we're having an Indian summer so all we very are. happy I know I'm quite buzzing about that everyone's saying oh yeah we're really happy that autumn's come and I'm like no I'm not ready I think I've only just unpacked my summer clothes I know it's those people that say I really like it when it rains and I think I yeah, go, no. go away <laughs> just yeah, go absolutely away absolutely not no. no thank you anyway let's talk a bit about you and your journey. Now, you have a book out. Just just tell us quickly what your book's called and just a general like synopsis of, of the book. I have read it. Have you? And Generally. Yes. Uh, genuinely. Honestly, genuinely. Genuinely, that's, I have read that's it. That's commitment. <laughs> and um, there, was, there was tears. Wow. That's very touching. Thank you. I mean, that really means a lot that you've read it. It's so weird when people have read it because you know, obviously it's such a personal thing to us. It's called Becoming Us. And it's the story of Hannah and I from 
when we were very little people growing up, knowing in my case that I was trans very early on, not, not even knowing yeah. what the word transgender meant, but just knowing that I was to me, a boy in a girl's body and, uh, struggling with that for years in a time when there was no talk of being trans, when, mm. you know, I, I didn't see anyone else like me out there. Um, when unfortunately we were living under Margaret Thatcher's lovely section 28, which meant that LGBT identities could not be discussed in school. So, you know, there was no external influence, no, no kind of help, no resources, no internet to go to. So I just kind of grew up feeling very different and feeling very wrong and like there was something very wrong with me and that obviously during my formative years impacted quite badly on the rest of my life my teens were pretty bad my 20s yeah. were even worse and um, it was only actually when I met another trans man at 25 that I saw a future for myself and saw hope and uh, transitioned and uh, Hannah's story is slightly different because she always knew there was something different but didn't quite know what it was again there was no influence there was no point of reference for her so she just mm. felt like that she didn't quite feel comfortable in her skin, but in the way that Hannah does, she kind of soldiered, quite literally soldiered on, um, joined the army and uh, joined the army, became a captain. And um, it wasn't until she actually went off and did a tour of Afghanistan and uh, was it was all just a bunch of men and her. And she realized that the years of kind of squashing it down and trying to ignore it and trying to live as a man, the man that everyone told her she was, she was just unable to carry on and felt that she was living half a life. And uh, after her tour of Afghanistan came back and came out as trans to her um, to her leadership and to, to a, a brigadier who, when she told him she was trans, actually turned around and said, well, you know, do you know I'm gay? And uh, this guy was a real beacon of hope for her and support. And he was one of the army's LGBT reps and uh, really helped her kind of come out and, and uh, on her journey and find acceptance and support. And Hannah had a really, really positive reaction from from the military when she came out. Yeah, yeah it was, I, that, that was really nice to read. I actually, when I was reading it, um, I felt pretty, pretty stupid, actually, because as, you know, a woman that was born in the right body, I was reading it thinking, wow, I have been so ignorant to issues that you guys would have faced growing up. Um, I didn't know it was illegal to talk about it in school, but of course, because, you know, it wasn't an issue for me that I wasn't aware, which is why I think your book was so incredible to read because it made me, well, a heck of a lot more aware of the struggles that you guys have faced and actually that you still face. I saw um, a, it was like an advert that one of you guys had posted. I don't know if it was you or Hannah. And it was about the struggles that trans people still have now um, in the modern world, like going to, you know, a men's bathroom and they're not being cubicles free. Or I think you, you, your one was in a, a gynecologist and being stared at because, you know, obviously you're a man and the women are confused as to why you're in there. And it's just ignorance. It's people not being aware, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, of course. And if, if things don't directly affect you, then there's, you know, we've all got our own stuff to deal with without worrying about everyone else's issues on top of it. You know, you'd, you'd give yourself anxiety, but um, it is tough. And, you know, just like being born gay, being born any, any sort of different way, any way that where you're kind of othered by society, of course, is difficult. And, you know, there are still a lot of people that don't like gay kids and don't think gay kids should be allowed to live happily, li happy lives. And, you know, our own 
government at the moment is trying to really restrict the teaching about LGBT and alternative families in schools. Um, and obviously it's, it's a, another Tory government that does seem to feel that we should kind of, you know, really limit what we're learning about other identities and other people. Um, you know, Rishi Sunak feels very strongly that trans women are not women and that trans kids don't really exist and should not be allowed to live happily as themselves. And that, you know, if they're transitioning schools, they should be monitored and grasped up to their parents and all sorts of things. So, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, I, I obviously think about God, how bad it was in the eighties when I was growing up, but unfortunately mm. we're still in a very, very scary time when yeah. there are a lot of people that, that don't like trans people just because they don't get us and that don't like gay people just because they don't get them. And it's, you know, in 2023, I think we were probably all hoping for better by now. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's so much work that still needs to be done. Um, now you you and Hannah kind of had different views. Well, not views, just different thought processes in the fact that you knew you wanted to be a father when you didn't you. But Hannah, she kind of didn't. It just wasn't really on her radar. But from what I've gathered from the book, when you were both single, um, and you went as far as to harvest your eggs, mm-hmm. which is. Incredible. I mean, the fact that even though you were going through so much mentally and having to deal with, you know, you had deaths going on and obviously you knowing you were in the wrong body and having to deal with all of that, that you then were like, do you know what? I want to be a father one day. I want to harvest my eggs. I want this little human to have some of my DNA. And um, so how was that? What was the process? How, How did it happen? I mean, it was, you know, it was tough. I, I had always, when I was a kid and I was 15, I would pick up my little, my friends, little brothers and sisters from school and take them home and do homework and stuff. And for years I worked as a nanny and then post-transition as a manny. And I've always enjoyed the company of kids and they're fun and they're easy. And it's just a lot simpler than adults. Um, a lot of the time, as, as you all know, there's just a real joy to a kid and yeah there's uh, no judgment no judgment is there for yeah. kids and, and, and well, see, you know kids are born without judgment you know unfortunately it's, it's the big bad adults that teach them that and and hate and all that um and so you know i'd done that all my life and had seen friends start to become parents and then saw my sister becoming a parent not once but three times and i think for years because when i when i was struggling with my identity I fell into alcoholism and I fell into drug abuse and all sorts of really, really detrimental things that instantly, as soon as I knew I was transitioning, stopped because I had no need for them anymore. Mm. Um, but I think I had all my life believed that I wasn't worthy of being a dad, that I just, it, that it was impossible. I thought, who on earth is going to want to have a kid with me? And um, I kind of, six years into my transition, when I was finally feeling like the man I'd always known myself to be and life was good and I was making films and having some success and my mother and I were getting on again after years of not speaking. And I just thought, you know, why shouldn't I at least give myself that tiny little chance that one day I might be a dad and have my dream? And so I did, you know, I went to the London Women's Clinic with my mum, who has supported me throughout. And, you know, we walked in and, you know, my mum's always been quite glamorous. And and I, I think from the looks that we got as we walked through the door, a lot of people thought my mum was probably there for fertility treatment. I was her toy boy. So that was <laughs> awkward because there was a lot of whispering in that waiting room. Oh, dear. Um, but, you know, it, was, it wasn't a fun thing, as any person who will tell you has had to have any kind of, you know, sperm or, I mean, I suppose it's easier if you're, if you're donating sperm, but, you know, having eggs harvested, <laughs> yeah. having 
that sort of process, you know, it makes you feel sort of inferior. It makes you feel, particularly in my case, emasculated. It was quite a tricky thing to come off testosterone for six months so that that could all clear out of my system. Oh, and so you had to stop taking the, the male hormones so that you could... So Harvest everything could eggs. start again, obviously. Right, um, okay. It wasn't nice, but I, th- I think also by then I was so confident in who I was. Um, mm. A lot of my friends were very concerned that I was going to start having suicidal thoughts, which, you know, of course I didn't. Because by yeah. then I knew what the end goal was. I knew this was going to be six months off testosterone, have the eggs harvested, hope that they were viable, which luckily they were. And uh, and then I, I knew that it would be, you know, back on testosterone, but with something in the bank, quite literally, you know, the cryobank. And and yeah. I did, you know, I did two rounds, managed to get about 19 eggs. Um, all of them were fertilized because they said to me, look, you know, you're single now. So there's no, you know, there's no kind of other influence. But, you know, if you have them fertilized, I think the the chance of them becoming a viable pregnancy goes from about 20% to about 50. So for me, it was just oh. a no brainer. So I yeah. went through a, a big book, chose a donor, and that was it. We got five, I ended up with five healthy embryos on ice. And that was that. And I sort of, they were kind of locked away until about two years later when I met Hannah. And uh, there we go. And there you go. So obviously you then met Hannah and um, you got married. And I bet I bet back when you were like, you know, this young little girl at, the po- at that point, stuck in that body, I bet that idea of being married and having a relationship was so so unachievable for you so to then get that that must have just been like your your life made and then obviously you then have children so I mean I bet you from being that that little person to now you must be incredibly proud of yourself that you you're still here that you stuck you know you stuck at living because I bet there was points where you probably didn't want to did you yeah no there was certainly times I mean I'm I'm in a weird way, quite an optimistic person. And I guess I just, it was sort of, you know, I drank myself into numbness effectively. Mm. And, you know, it really was that the fact that like I, I stopped pretty much overnight um, once I began my transition, I think was kind of testament to the fact that I was doing it purely because it was a way to kind of survive. Um, yeah. And, you know, it did, it got me through, not that I would ever advocate for drinking alcohol abuse, uh, for <laughs> drinking uh, drug abuse, but it, it, it you know, it, it was kind of self-medication, I guess. Yeah. Got me through till I was 25. And, you know, as I say, when I, when I met another trans man for the first time in my life in New York, it was honestly like a veil had been lifted and like I saw the potential. I saw a future, you know, I'd never seen anyone like me. And, you know, there's the, there's the kind of old mantra of you can't be you if you can't see you. And mm. I'd never seen a trans man before. You know, I'd seen mm. trans women once or twice on TV, you know, never nicely represented, but, you know, they were out there. But trans men are just almost invisible. And I met this yeah. guy in New York who was like this happy, positive, successful, beautiful man. And he just said, you know, you can do this. And, I, and you know, he saw me through a lot of it and we're still friendly now, 20 years later. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I owe a lot of my life to him. I remember reading that bit in your book and yeah, you said something like you'd said, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And you were like, yeah, it is. And just meeting that person that's gone through the same struggles as you have and them telling you, listen, it's going to be okay. You can do this. And um, that bit, what that was a bit where I, I had a, a good old sob <laughs> on the river whilst I was reading the book. I People must have been like, what on earth is going on with this girl? 
Um, so the next step, once you'd met Hannah and you got married and you decided you wanted children and obviously you've got your fertilized eggs, was to find a surrogate, which I did not realize was as tricky as it is in England. Because when I was reading your book, it was super interesting. I did not know that for the first, I can't remember how many weeks six she weeks, said it was. Six weeks. Six weeks. The, the birth mother, the surrogate, not the mother, the, the surrogate is technically the mother and has full control over that child. So for those first six weeks, you guys could have changed your mind, but also she could have changed her mind which I, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, we found an amazing surrogate. And yes, it, you know, it's, it's a really complicated procedure over here because you're not allowed to, to pay a surrogate. It's got to be all kind of an altruistic exchange. You're allowed to cover, cover her expenses, but you're not allowed to actually pay for that. Whereas in America, obviously, it's very much a business transaction. You know, you go in with someone and you're signing contracts and it's all legal and you're paying her usually over a hundred thousand dollars for that for wow. that um privilege which of course it is a massive privilege for a woman to help you in that way um but for us laura came to us and she was this northern irish pediatric nurse who had two of her own kids had seen our story seen us on the rain in the morning and just said you know i would love to help you i've always wanted to be a surrogate she considered it years ago for, for a family member who was struggling with the fertility and then they had not done it and um, had always wondered. And when she actually separated from her husband, it was the first thing she wanted to do. And so she'd seen us and we met and we clicked and she was very no nonsense and very down to earth. And we kind of aligned on all the things like, you know, what would happen if we died when the baby was, you know, in the womb? What would happen if there was something wrong with the, with the fetus in the room? What was, you know, what was her sort of expectations moving forward in terms of contact and how often we'd see the baby, you know, she'd see the baby and so on. And we, because we aligned kind of across the board, it just felt that Laura was the, the one to go with. And she was so clear the whole way. I mean, we never, I, I don't think ever thought for a second she'd want to keep the baby. She said, this is your baby. I don't want any more kids. I love being pregnant, but I absolutely do not want the end result. <laughs> so she had the whole way through. She said, I'm loving it. I love feeling something growing inside me, but mm. my family is complete now. And I know how desperately you guys want this baby. And so she did it. It was all, it went very smoothly by the last month when unfortunately the pandemic hit. Oh, and, I couldn't uh, believe that when I, when I read that in the book, I was literally just like, wow, just to add to everything. Know, right? all, all, like It took a lot to get to this point. Let's just throw COVID into the mix, <laughs> shall we? But <laughs> even that brought us closer because we had to, it was, you know, we'd had all these plans that we were going to go a bit early to Northern Ireland to be there for the birth, take her out for lunches and teas and dinners and spend loads of time there. Of course, we were absolutely unable to do all that because we were all in isolation and, and pretty terrified. Mm -hmm. It was the first month when we all, you know, there was real fear and we yeah. sat in an Airbnb about 20 minutes down the road from her, unable to go and see her. It was that time when everyone was kind of wiping their shopping with antibacterial wipes. We were all so yeah. terrified and yeah. we'd been told that if we caught COVID, we wouldn't be able to take the baby. And I think there was nothing more terrifying than the thought that we wouldn't be able to look after our baby in the first few days of her life. Yeah. Um, so we were, I mean, the anxiety was through the roof. Um, oh, I can imagine. Lots of video calls with Laura to check she was okay, which she was. And uh, we were unable to be in the room when, when Millie was being born. But I think honestly, we didn't regret that. And we, we weren't in the room for the second, for the second, because there is a second. <laughs> um, but it was, it, you know, it, it was wonderful. And it was 
incredible when Laura was wheeled in and it was about five in the morning and our little bundle, she handed Millie over to us and there was this tiny little baby, you know, Mm. and we all cried, of course. And she, Laura, who had had, I mean, this is just testament to how amazing this woman was. She'd had Millie delivered by C-section. And as she was leaving the next day, she actually said to the midwife, I have loved this. I'll probably see you in 18 months because I'm definitely going to be doing this again. Oh, and she did. She called, she? she called us four weeks later. She said, I don't want to put any pressure on you. I'm going to go again as soon as I'm healed. Obviously, you've got my first refusal. Let me know. And I, I mean, I, I literally, I couldn't get it out quickly enough. I, yes, let's do it. And a year later, we, you know, we, we had a, a, an ectopic pregnancy in the middle, unfortunately. But then a few months later, Laura said, right, I'm ready. And we went again and, and we got our little Teddy. So we now have two beautiful little girls and we speak yeah. to Laura every couple of weeks and, and it's, we are incredibly lucky. Oh, and will you um, tell the girls that Laura was their surrogate and carried them? Or is that something that you don't want to share? No, absolutely. I mean, there's a documentary about it on Channel 4. It would be, it would be really weird. That would be hard <laughs> to keep that from them. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's also, a book. I mean, there's everything. Well, they can see it, can't that, they, of course. Know, honestly. Stupid question. <laughs> it is, but it's so, we are so proud of the love that brought those two girls into the world. And, you know, they've met, well, Millie's met Auntie Laura um, and several times. And, you know, we've sort of said, this is where you grew. You grew in Auntie Laura's tummy. And, you know, of course she's only three now. She wouldn't grasp it. And I think for her it's different as well because obviously, you know, there was no bump in Hannah's tummy. She doesn't really get the whole how babies come into the world. But, of course, Mm. in the next couple of years when she does and when they're starting to sort of, you know, talk about it and, you know, she asks about her friends when there's a, a baby in a tummy, um, of course, we'll explain to her, you know, we're not ashamed. We're very proud of, of, of what Laura did for us and what we yeah. did to bring them into the world. And, you know, we absolutely want them to know that this amazing woman is the reason that they're, that they're here. Hi all, it's TV's Gail Porter here. I am so excited to tell you that I am joining the Paranormal Activity family and will be hosting a number of live podcast recordings across the UK. The first is on the 5th of October at London's haunted Richmond Theatre. Expect terrifying tales, audience interaction and hopefully a spirit or two. If you want to join me and share your own paranormal experiences, get tickets at www.paranormalpod.co.uk. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And how how was it going from one to two? Quite quickly. I don't think we were ready for it. I mean, you know, how, how often are you, I mean, in what way are you ever ready? But I think, you know, we, with Millie, you know, she was a lockdown baby, but once we got out of the pandemic, it was, you know, we got her to the point where age two, two and a half, we'd go out for dinners, we'd go out for lunches, we'd go out for things, you know, it was, she was napping well, she was sleeping well. It was all very, you know, the little group of three. And then number two arrives and all of a sudden you sort of forget you are right set back to the beginning where there's naps three times a day and they're screaming all night and they need to be fed at, you know, 11 and three and five. And, and it mm. just threw everything up in the air again. But I suppose the good thing was at this time, obviously we weren't locked down. We could go and see family and friends. We could get help. We could get babysitters. We could get all sorts that the first time, obviously we were absolutely unable to do. So, you know, now that we've got come out of <laughs> all of that, and the, the girls play together and in the morning yeah. Teddy kind of toddles in to wake Millie up and the utter love between those girls, you know, when they see each other in the room, like they're both their faces light up and they sort of, you know, run, normally smack each other over. But they are just the, the, the connection that those kids have. And I sincerely hope that they are always as they are now, which is just pure love. Which they oh. won't be, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping. There, I'm hoping that like there'll be points. There'll be points where they have a little fight. I mean, I've got a sister, so and we're very we're we're only 15 months apart, me and my sister, and um, we are super super close now. So good. I've got hope. I've got hope for you girls. Good, and they look so alike as well. You know, they both they got do. my dark eyes, my dark hair, and they are. It's just so weird as well. As you'll know, seeing yourself in, in, in a little person is just weird. When I catch a, a smile on one of them and I'll, and I'll see little me, and it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, I, I honestly just feel so, so lucky. Like, I will never stop staring at them and marveling at how incredibly lucky we are. Oh, I know. It's, it, it is an absolute blessing. I mean, you, you, like, ugh, just... It's just special, isn't it? Yep. It's so funny because when you said about them uh, looking, you know, looking like you can see a, a look of you... There's nothing worse. So I remember when I first had Cooper, when somebody comes over to you and goes, oh, don't they look just like their dad? And, I'm, and I was like, I have just heaved and shoved this child out. How dare you? Even if he looks nothing like me, you tell me he's got my eyes. Yeah. I think I think he does like look quite like you, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think he does. I think he's got a look of my mum. So Which is I look nice. like my mum. So, yeah. And that's nice, yeah. Um, now... We've got a question from um, a member of the public, but just to lead into it, because uh, there was quite a lot about um, how you and your dad and you and your mum, it was a bit fractious at times because you didn't quite know how to speak to them. And they also did not know how to speak to you about everything that was going on, Mm -hmm. Um, which... I mean, it's a learning curve, I guess, for everybody. And now, obviously, sadly, your dad passed away, didn't he? And that was what you spoke about in the book was one of your regrets that you and him didn't have that mm. chat about it all. Um, so, so, so going on to the question from um, uh, Jules, uh, she has said, Hiya, I really need some advice and support here. This is all new to me. I'm really confused what to do. My 10-year-old daughter has just come out as trans this morning and wants me uh, to use he, their pronouns. But I'm just finding this so hard. 
They want to start using a binder, cut their hair and dress more masculine, which I know you can absolutely relate to there. I feel like she needs to wait until she's at least 16. She's so young and decisions at this age can change so easily. I feel like every week she's into something new. I don't want to stop them from being who they are, but I also don't want her to rush into things where she might change her mind at a later date. I'm really stuck here, so any support would be wonderful. Jules. I know obviously it's scary. You know, honestly, if, if our girls came out and said that they were gay or trans, it would be worrying for us because I know it's a really hard life. Um, mm. It certainly can be. It doesn't always have to be. It certainly can be. I know it's scary as a parent to, to, to know that you're or feel that your child is potentially going to be othered by society. But I think, and, and of course, you know, kids are into different things all the time. Um, I think it's important first to, to ascertain well, in fact, no, firstly, I would say acknowledge what they're saying to you, because if your child has felt safe enough to come to you and trust you with this, then mm. obviously they have a lot of faith and confidence in you and feel real safety in you. A lot of kids wouldn't, wouldn't feel the, the safety and the kind of confidence to do that for fear that yeah. they're rejected or judged or receive a, a bad um, reaction from their parent. So I think firstly, you know, there, there's, also, there's almost something, you know, pride that you should take that your child feels comfortable doing that with you. But I think also, you know, acknowledge it. Don't dismiss it, which it doesn't sound like you have. Um, of course, kids are into lots of different things. And I think it's maybe something you could ask them how long they felt this way. Because obviously, you know, it's to you, this may seem very sudden, but to them, this could have been going on since they were three or four, which it was with mm. me. And mm. they might have squashed it down for six or seven years by now. And to finally have plucked up the courage to come and tell you to them might feel like, oh, come on, I've, I've gone through all this. I know I've questioned myself, but you know, kids are very bright these days and, yeah. you know, getting a lot of information from a lot of different places. Um, so I would say if they're asking you to, to use different pronouns and if over the course of the next, you know, couple of weeks or even a couple of months, they are sticking true to that, I would ask yourself, is it going to harm me to use different pronouns for my child or even a different name for your child? And I think realistically, if it makes your child so much happier, having that acknowledgement, having that respect and hearing from you that you acknowledge what they're saying and that you respect that identity, which may very well be their identity going on into adulthood, then mm. I think I don't really see the harm in you doing that. And whether it's just letting them, which is it's called a societal transition. So it's just letting them have a different name and letting them use different pronouns. And look, if they want to cut their hair or wear different clothes, again, you've got to ask yourself, how badly does that affect me? Because mm. on the flip side, if you're blocking them from doing those things, that will very, very deeply and very, very negatively affect your child and your yeah. relationship with your child. And I think that's what really matters. So I think it's a balance of, I don't want them to do this and I'm worried about them and I'm worried that they might change their mind and they may. And if they do, where's the harm? You've supported them and all they will take away from it is, I came out to my mom, I told her this, she supported me, it was wonderful. I know she respected me and loved me and I know I always have that unconditional love. And yeah. you know, you've lost nothing and you've just held their hand along the way. And if, you know, they, they change, then that's up to them. And, you know, they might tell you in a few years that they feel completely differently, but they might yeah. stick with it. And you've been there and you've held their hand. And, you know, that is really, God, I would have killed for that as a child. I would have killed oh, yeah. when I was telling my mom and dad from the age of about three that I was a boy. I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy. And no one was listening to me. Yeah. And in those formative years up to, I think it's seven, 
when someone is telling you over and over, you are not the person you know yourself to be, the effects on my mental health, on my self-esteem, on my self-worth, on my belief were, it decimated me. So just, you know, ask yourself, is it really going to hurt you? Probably not. Is it really going to hurt them? 100% if you do not acknowledge all that. So that would be my, you know, sorry if that sounds really heavy, but no, you know. No, no, that's, it gave me goosebumps when you were saying all that there. And it's, it, but it's so true. Like there's no harm. There is no harm in your child being who they want to be. It's not going to harm anyone, you know. Um, and you've just, as a parent, you have to be proud of whatever it is your child wants yeah. to be. And call it experimenting. If they are, if you want to call it experimenting, probably not to them, but if you, if you to yourself and to your friends and to your support network, which we should all have as parents, are calling it experimenting, let them experiment. But mm. as I say, when, you know, I know a lot of people who didn't have that support from their parents and age kind of 20, 25, they're now not talking to their parents anymore. But yeah. those that have had that support are strong and are successful and know that they're loved and supported and are positive people in this world because they had that positive support from their parents. And, you know, I think any parent would want that. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I can't imagine anything sadder sort of, you know, as, as you grow older, looking back and thinking, my God, I wish I'd just been there for them when they needed me. Oh, I, I can imagine. And, and it's so great that you are, you and your mother now have, you know, you've got a nice relationship now, don't you? You've obviously been through your ups and downs. And um, I remember reading a part where like you end up having to kind of negotiate in Marks and Spencers about um, you wanting to wear more mass. You want to shop in the boys section. Yeah. And she was like, come like, come and get a dress from this section. And you eventually like met in the middle that if you got some girls trousers, she'd let you get a, a boys top. But the things, you know, my mum didn't know, you know, we were, this was the eighties and there was no yeah. internet and no one was talking about it in the papers. Like not unlike, not like now where it's just hate, hate, bigotry, prejudice, hate, lies, misinformation, which it really is. It's utter nonsense. Everyone's talking about trans kids. No one's talking to the kids. No one's talking to their happy parents who have seen their kids flourish once they're out to just be themselves. And, you know, ask yourself, please, parents, every time you read an article about you know, a trans child, trans kids being rushed into hormones, rushed into surgery. It's not true. We know these kids, they're just not getting it. They're not getting it. And, and they're not allowed to have it before 16 anyway, certainly not like cross-sex hormones or, or surgeries. So mm-hmm. just, just before you start believing what the papers are telling you, know that the actual trans kids are not being rushed into anything. They yeah. are really, really desperate for this help. And this other sort of rhetoric and narrative that we hear a lot is, oh, just let them live a childhood, let them have a childhood, you know, don't push this gender ideology on them. I can assure you, I had a wasted, horrific, miserable childhood because I wasn't acknowledged, because I wasn't allowed to be myself. So this nonsense about, you know, just let them enjoy it. I guarantee you every day that your child is told, no, you don't like boys. You know, you, of course you don't like boys because, you know, you're not, you're not, there, there's no such thing as gay or, you know, you're not trans because of course you can't, you don't even know what you want for breakfast. How can you possibly understand gender? Mm. If those kids have come to you and told you that this is how they feel, there's probably quite a, quite a serious reason for it. And, yeah. you know, just try and see it as a positive thing. You know, my, my mum, as soon as I told her that I was, that I was trans and I told her at like 27 years old, and I kind of burst into tears and I said, this is how I've always felt. This is why I've always been so miserable. And the first thing she said was, what are we going to do about it? And has supported me ever since and is now my biggest champion. And, you know, that is why we've got the relationship we have, because she supported me. When she had the information, she supported me. 
Well, that that's a perfect note to end it on. Love <laughs> and support. That is all that you guys need. Love and support throughout the journey. Um, Jake, that has been super, super insightful. And I am just so happy for you and Hannah that you got your happy ending that you both, well, I'll cry, uh, that you both, <laughs> I'm an emotional one, uh, that you both very much deserved. So yeah, I'm super happy for you guys. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Georgia. It's been really, Thanks, really lovely. <laughs> Hope your nanny gets sorted out. So do I. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mum's The Word, the parenting podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. We love to hear from you. Get in touch on WhatsApp where you can send us a voice message for free, even anonymously if you want, at 07599927537. Email us at askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love the reviews. Keep them coming in. We will be back with another episode, same time, same place, next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.